unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. Welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today, man? Nathan, I'm great. I'm excited. How are you? I'm excited as well. I have been waiting on pins and needles in my black shirt all week for the continuation of our conversation with Chris, and I'm excited to see where this conversation goes. So I'm going to turn it over to you and play a fly on the wall. You know, I'm wearing a black shirt too, but I want, you know, just because it's a little different, I've got a red undershirt. Oh, there you go. Yeah, cool. Yeah, Mm -hmm. a little variety, huh? Okay, so our guest today, Chris Sadat, who you've already heard from, has sent shockwaves through the copywriting world. He did it a couple weeks ago with the launch of his much-awaited online training program called The Pig Method. Pig stands, P-I-G, stands for punch in the gut. And I would say that's a fairly universal description of how Chris's copy in his video sales letters affect viewers. When you watch one of Chris's promotions or read his copy, you go in an emotional roller coaster ride that's right up there with what you experience in a block Buster Hollywood thriller. Chris does have a background in theater and film, but his greatest accomplishments, I would argue, have come in the digital marketing space. Chris has created products and promotions for them, which have brought in millions of dollars and caused quite a stir in the marketplace. However, the pig method is the first time, as I can recall, that Chris has revealed all the secrets of how he puts his promotions together which is something a lot of people have wanted to know for quite some time. But first, a friendly reminder for you, copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast, and most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims, and if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health, finance, and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. Chris, welcome back, and thanks for joining us for a second show. I'm very happy to. I had to like really carve out time in my schedule. I had to wear the same shirt as last week to speak for continuity reasons, but I'm here. Yeah, I appreciate your sense of the fine points of showmanship. That's important. important. Last week, we talked about what you went through to create the product, and it was much easier for you than I would have expected. Exhausting, but not like mentally constraining in in any way. This time, I'd like to talk about your actual experience in writing the copy. And before we start, and this may sound ho-hum to you, but not to me. I've written copy for my own products, and I always found it a little bit of a challenge because I'm the client as well as the copywriter. A lot of the people I coach find it an even bigger challenge. They end up doing a great job, but for some reason, it's hard for them to look at their own work from a distance. As I recall, when we were preparing for this, you said it was fun. It was easy. Chris had it as a fantastic client for me to have, if that makes any sense. So so when I do my Michael Fiore stuff, I really do think of Michael Fiore as a separate entity. 
basically. So like it's psychologically useful to do that also because he had a level of fame and all that kind of shit. And I don't really want to get messed up psychologically because of that. But I really do try to like, I, I would take a step back and be like, okay, if I wasn't the guy playing that character, what would I think of him? What are his strengths? What are his weaknesses? What can I actually kind of use? Doing this stuff, I get to just be Chris Haddad. And it's, it makes it really great because I, for instance, I wrote the VSL for this course yesterday in about four hours, basically. I didn't write down every single word I'm going to say because I know Chris Haddad doesn't need, need me to do that. It's fucking awesome. I can just give him bullet points and he's going to get up there and be charming and funny and do the kind of thing. I also just find it incredibly freeing. You know, when I've written for clients in the past or even Michael Fiore stuff or whatever else, I always have to tamp things down a little bit depending on who I'm writing for voice-wise. Uh, if I went out and used my kind of Chris Haddad, really funny, profane, all over the place kind of stuff for a client or like a doctor or something, it simply wouldn't fit. Whereas when I'm selling stuff as Chris Haddad, I can just be as genuinely weirdly me as possible and put little strange jokes. Uh, in, like there's a bit in actually the VSL where I go through all of the bonuses and I'm going through, okay, you're going to get my VSL workshop course. And I talk about that. You're going to get six deep dives into my best letters where I spend over an hour going through every single detail. You're going to get the live component. You're going to get this. And then I say, and your sixth bonus is something I can't give to everybody, but you're going to be really happy if you get it. Because the sixth bonus is, and I hit the slide and it goes, love on the screen. The sixth bonus is love. <laughs> Right. And there's a yep. bit at the end, like I get near the end and I'm like, okay, so I've done that. I've covered all these things. So now it's time for, and it goes on screen, the crossroads close. Cause it's very meta cause we're doing marketing and it's got a right. picture of uh, Britney Spears and her pot in her crossroads movie and Ralph Macchio and his crossroads movie. And I can just be funny. I can just be weird with the entire thing. And that entire VSL is basically like a, a meta commentary on VSLs as we're going through it. I couldn't do that for anybody else, but I can do it for me. Oh, so you had a good time. I mean, it was not only fun to write a copy. You said, what the hell? I'm going to have fun with this, right? Yeah, well, my, well, that's what people, like, here's the deal, though, David. Like, you know me for a long time. Mm -hmm. People want to buy from me because I'm me, not because I'm trying to be somebody else, right? Not because I'm trying to fit in any kind of box. What I've discovered over the years is the more authentically myself I am, the more money I make and the more people I attract into my orbit and the more, the better off I am. When I look at Chris Haddad as a client, as opposed to, as opposed to being me, I'm like, okay, there's a lot of assets I can kind of use here in order to connect with people on a deep level and have it feel very genuine and not feel like marketing in a weird way. Even though the people I'm selling to know that I'm selling to them, I'm doing it in an amusing way. I'm commenting on the fact that I'm selling to them. They kind of notice, like people get happy. What I love about selling marketing and copy stuff is you can use weird marketing and copy techniques. And when they figure it out, if they figure out, they go, Oh, that was awesome. You did that thing to my brain and now I want to buy stuff from you. As opposed to in like the relationship advice niche where they're like, you're manipulating me. But in this niche, it's like, you're manipulating me. That's awesome. <laughs> it's kind of great. Plus, you seem to have, and you know, we're actually recording this before the launch. Yeah. You seem to have built up quite a, quite a head of steam ahead mm. of the launch. I've, I saw Stefan's wife, yeah, Stefan. Laura, yeah. Nora, yeah, I mean, she had a video about here. She's writing the check and she's getting ready yep. to buy it. And yep. I've seen comments in your pig group, people saying, I "Can't wait! I hope I hope I can get that on the list." There's a lot of people, you know. Like I said, it's currently set for 200 people, and I have to make some decisions about. So the reason I want to limit it is because this is technically the beta launch, right? This is technically the like, hey, let's get a group. I thought this was going to be sell 50 get some people in, make 300 grand, then have them go through it. 
And then next year I'd go out and get some affiliates and do some things and things like that. And then all of a sudden I have 1300 people in a Facebook group, almost 500 people on the early bird list and a price point that's actually quite high and people still chopping at the bit to get it, which is pretty damn cool. So it's made me shift my strategy a bit and be like, okay, well, I'm willing to make this initial launch bigger. But I re- what I really want to do is make sure the people that go through it are able to get the level of attention they deserve. So I got to kind of figure out what the balance is about whether, granted, I'd like their money too. I'm not, I'm not weird that way, but I also, I really want to make sure that people are getting the highest possible value of it. And if I have to not sell any more to do that, then that's what I'll do. Well, that's good. Now, a lot of copywriters advise clients. So I'm wondering if Chris had had the copywriter advised Chris had had the client to do this, to create the product to a sales letter. That doesn't necessarily mean the sales letters there. It means you, you have a lot of bullets that yep. raise your standard higher so that you can sell it, but also so that the product can actually do that. You know what I'm talking about. I don't know if I'm saying it. Yeah, of course you're. So, Instead of saying this product is going to do X, Y, and Z, they, they, what they do is they'll write a short sales letter or just a lot of bullets making extraordinary, way beyond what anyone's it. ever done before promises, not to put in the sales letter, but to pump up the product creator to make the product oh, that yeah, good. Yeah, no, I've done that many times. Yeah. I haven't done that for this, but you know when I created... Um the VSL for language of desire, for instance, one of my best letters, I wrote the VSL before the product was created. And then I took the VSL bullets and I gave it to the product creator. And I said, Hey, go make this. And that actually is what, cause otherwise I think she had written a version of the first, you know, half of the product basically. And then I had been like, this isn't good enough. So I wrote the bullets and then had her go off and do that for this one. Cause again, it's, it's my own thing that I'm doing personally. I don't feel like, really feel like I need to like make it all that formal as I'm going. I just kind of do whatever feels like fun at any time. But also, you were writing to spec in a way because you had a lot of people tell you what you want. Oh, yeah, now, yeah, yeah. You're going to yeah. do it however you want to do it. But did, did that expand your thinking at all? That just told me it? what the course was going to be. At first, I just knew I wanted to finally do a course because people have been asking me for a long time. At first, I was going to call it the Money Fingers Method, and it was going to be just like you know Chris Haddad's VSL course. But yeah. then people kept coming to me and saying, what we really want is the storytelling aspect of it and the, that, that kind of thing of it. So I was like, okay, well, let's focus it on what people want to pay me for, basically. And I'll fill in any gaps in the product that come up later. Um, but yeah, it's been great because all I've really had to do for this is just ask people what, that, what they want me. Because again, I've, I've spent all, this years, all these years building up my reputation. I'm pretty well known. For whatever reason, people still remember me even when I disappear for years at a time. So having all of that already set does make the entire thing a hell of a lot easier to do. That's for sure. Yeah. So when you got the requests, was there anything that surprised you? Did anyone ask you to do things that you said, no, 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 I can't do that one? Oh, no, not really. I mean, what people were asking for was how do you write these punch in the gut kind of stories? How do you add more emotion to your copy? Um, Can we see more of your stuff, et cetera? So it all seemed quite reasonable. And, you know, we're over delivering like freaking crazy on this thing anyway. Um, It's an expensive program, but I think I, I probably could have made it 30, 40, 50% more expensive and still, still sold out if I really wanted to. It's awesome. Yeah. So what's in it? So the, uh, the components of it, the first half is all about emotional, like mind reading your market, getting into your market's mind, learning. We talked about this last week. It's all learning empathy, learning how to really figure out what people actually want, what actually drives them, how the benefit of your product is always emotional. Like it's not so much about making money, but it's about what that means. You know, for, for um, Power for Home, for instance, the original version of that letter was about saving money on power. 
I rewrote it in about four hours, put it up. It got a 70% conversion increase because it wasn't about that anymore. It was about a man protecting his daughter from a cold and uncaring world. And all of a sudden, it became a much more kind of effective thing. So I teach you how to, how to figure out what those emotions should be, figure out what that big actual emotional benefit is going to be. That's the first half of it. And then the second half, I actually go through step by step my version of what the hero's journey would be basically for these kind of things, the pig beat map, as it were. So I teach you, I teach them how to cope with the moment of crisis, like that moment that is really the very beginning of the letter, you know, or, or the beginning of the story anyway, where I say like in language of desire, it's talk journey to me. He said in our one year anniversary and make him worship you. It's uh, he kissed me like his sister and I knew I was alone again. How do you come up with those lines that compress an entire story into one sentence and create such an emotional resonance with the market, with the prospect they feel they have to watch more. And then I explain how to, once you start that moment of crisis, how you kind of fill in the blanks, how you move forward, what choice they need to make, how they actually go on the journey to figure out what the product is, what needs to go into that, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all the way through. It was a lot of fun to figure out how to, how to teach. Yeah. So when you look at other people's sales letters, not the ones that you give a 10 out of 10, but the, yeah. the ones that could use some improvement, what are, especially in terms of what you're teaching, what are the areas where you think people have a blind spot or they're just missing the boat? They just don't understand what people really want. Some, some guy sent me a message the other day, younger guy, copywriter, and he was like, oh man, I was reading some of your bullets in your texture X back thing and they're so good. They're amazing. And I'm like, oh, thanks. That's great. I wrote that a long time ago, but whatever. And he's like, yeah, here's one of mine. And his for an X back product was basically about getting your ex-girlfriend back into your bed, right? It was all about like, hey, this is going to teach you how to get your ex-girlfriend to want to have sex with you, et cetera. And I'm like, that's not what the X-Back market is looking for. That's not the resonance. That's not the emotional resonance. What people want when they want their ex-Back isn't even their ex-Back, honestly. What they want is their ex to want them back, right? They, they mm -hmm. want to get rid of the pain of rejection more than they want anything else. I've had many times, several times actually, where people have written me after getting Texture X-Back, they've used it. They've gotten their ex back and then said, yeah, but I, then I realized I didn't actually want them back. I just didn't want to be in pain anymore. It's a very, very common thing. But learning how to understand what that actual driver is. It's not about sex. That's not what the ex back thing is about at all. You can get sex other places. It's about that pain of connection and that pain of, you know, they say when you lose love, it's almost like losing a drug, right? It's like losing cocaine. The, the mental processes are the same. So I think that's the main thing is just people get way too attached to the surface level stuff. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, man, you want to get laid again. Like, that's not what the actual pain point is. And what I try to teach people how to do is get deeper inside and figure out what those actual pain points are that are going to make, make people feel like they, they are getting what they really need and they can actually give you their money and get that amazing benefit. So when you were in college, did you study psychology? No, weirdly enough. I, I mean, I had like a psychology class, I think, because, you know, freshman year, sophomore year, I briefly studied advertising, like traditional kind of Madison Avenue type stuff, um, sophomore year in college. And then after my dad died, when I was 19, I switched over to television and film stuff for a few years and spent a lot of time in like some, some production stuff, but mostly just learning how to write dramatically, basically, more than anything else. Yeah, that's interesting because I, I sort of minored in psychology. Honestly, I don't remember much of what I was taught, but I know for a fact that all the conventional wisdom, at least at that time and probably today about psychology, just it, it almost gets turned on its head. Like, yeah. like just the example you were giving about, mm -hmm. about what people really want. I yeah. mean, it's so far away from theory and Freud and Jung and Adler. And I think marketers are way better psychologists. Like, psych 
psychiatrists, psychologists than a lot of those people are because we see it on the ground. We know what works. and what. There's so many times I've read studies or like seen some comments on a news site about like psychologists discovered, psychiatrists discovered this. I'm like, we knew that 40 fucking years ago. Because when you're in marketing, you do it and you either make money or you don't, right? It's and, very- And you learn something either way, right? And there's, there's no theory. There's no like, like, oh, I think this is what's going to be true or not. I, actually, I find that some people who- don't make it in marketing or copywriting or people that can't handle that. They can't handle the accountability aspect of it. They're like, hey, your copy is either going to work or it's not, or it's not going to work. And there's no like Madison Avenue, the client likes it. So it's a good thing. It's like it either fucking makes money or it doesn't make money. And I think that makes marketers some of the best applied psych- psychology people in the world. Yeah. And I wonder if there are people who can't handle it, not even because of the accountability, but because they have a very idealized version of the way people in the world are supposed yeah. to be. And the way then people they find should out, be. Yeah, yeah the, way they, the way they should, should be. be. And then when they find yeah. out the way people are, it's like, these guys have it wrong. I don't want to have anything to do with it. Because yeah, that might be it. Yeah. I mean, maybe I'm cynical. I think all copywriters end up kind of cynical about humanity. I mean, I, I, that's kind of my theory on it. Because when you're studying copy and studying marketing, you are cutting through the bullshit and seeing what actually works and what actually hits people and what people really, really want. And I think at a certain point, I don't know, it just makes you jaded to some degree or whatever. I just remember last year, you know, when the beginning, when the pandemic was just starting and, uh, there was the whole pandemic thing that was going on. And there were people that were, you know, all these were conspiracy theories and this going on and that going on. And now there's the anti-vax stuff and whatever. And some of my Seattle friends who aren't in marketing were so shocked that people were acting this way. They were like, Oh my God. I'm like, what what this is human this is what we always do like have you studied history at all have you studied psychology at all this is how humans react to this kind of situation this is why we will never do anything about global warming because we're human beings we cannot do that and it's depressing in a way but i really my career i think is largely based off just trying to see human beings as accurately as i can warts and all no matter how much it might piss me off or frighten me to look look at them yeah it's it's kind of a question of you know, I mean, I love humanity. Um, individual people, sometimes not so much. But sure, um, yeah. I'm the other way well, around. I like individual people. I don't like humanity that much. Then yeah. that's the difference between us, I guess. Okay. But yeah, so, so that's anything. So can you share one or two tidbits from the second part, from the, the beats of the big uh, method? The main thing I think that I talk about in the course that I can really, I always want to make buying the product into an altruistic act or the act of buying the product in itself should make the person who's making the purchase feel like they have done something, they have accomplished something. And it's not a selfish thing. It's a thing they are doing that is going to have a positive benefit for somebody else. Like in Power for Home, for instance, which is a very successful letter. And, you know, the guy is saving money on power, but, you know, that's greed, right? That's kind of an ugly thing. That's a, a crappy reason to want to do something. But instead, it's about, hey, you're doing this to create your own power to make sure that your home is an island of light in a sea of darkness when America's crumbling infrastructure suddenly falls apart. And you're going to be able to protect your family and people are going to look up to you and your neighbors are going to be jealous of you and all that stuff. I want the, the when they click that button to buy something, I want them to feel like they have done something wonderful for themselves and for other people as well, if at all possible. That's so interesting because there's this whole Ayn Rand uh, libertarian oh, whatever yeah. point of view that runs very strongly through our community that actually thinks altruism is a dirty word. But yeah. you are absolutely right. Self-interest is huge, but there's also a little bit of shame, 
around being purely greedy, despite what everyone says in terms of what they do. And altruism, when it's focused on something that has meaning and value to anyone, is a big driver. Altruism as a general idea is repugnant to a lot of people. But it is weirdly enough. Yeah. Um, you know, my ex-wife, uh, who you know, or met on a couple of occasions, I think at one point we were at couples counseling and I, I am known as somebody who kind of goes out of my way for my friends whenever I can. I like to be there for people. I like to help people however I can. And my ex at one point was like, why are you always doing that? Like, why are you, why, why are you like helping people like that? I'm like, well, cause I, cause I want to. It's like, well, she's like, well, you're only doing that because it makes you feel good. So it's not, it makes you feel good. I'm like, true, true. Yeah. And then the couples counselor was like, I'm not going to say her name, but uh, the couples counselor was like, why do you think I do my job then? But my ex could not get her brain around this idea that altruism in itself is a little bit selfish. Like if you actually want to be happy as a human mm-hmm. being, we all know this is all very well known. If you want to be happy as a human being, you help other people. That is yeah. the thing that will make you the happiest no matter what no matter who you are, no matter how much, like the house isn't going to do it. The car is not going to do it. The army of beautiful women bent over isn't going to do it. What's actually going to make you happy long-term is being there for other people and helping other people. And I think I can, you can weave that. There's there's a lot of psychology stuff that goes on there, but that's the, um, I think, I think altruism in a way is actually selfish because it makes you feel good. It makes you happy. I think that army of women is going to make you very tired pretty quickly. It really would. My back, uh, you know, my back is not what it used to be. So yeah. Actually, it's better than it used to be. I'm going to All right, so that was really profound, and that was a mindset shift for me, and it, it helps me put two things together because I haven't been able to. So thank you for that. Do you have any other tip? Envy. We all know what envy is, right? Envy is a powerful, powerful emotion. And I have found that envy and jealousy are basically two of the most, absolutely most powerful emotional drivers you can come up with. And so jealousy is about removing the pain of being jealous of somebody else, right? So when they make money niche, it's like, hey, you see all those people becoming Bitcoin billionaires, but you're not, and it's eating you alive. And you find a way in your copy to remove that angst and make that person feel like they're at the the bleeding edge of the next thing and they're not going to miss out again. And the more powerful version, I think, is when you are future pacing the prospect for what's going to happen after they buy the product and use it and get the great benefits is the envy that other people are going to have for them, right? Like the idea of like your, you know, your brother-in-law who told you you would never make money online coming and asking you for a loan, for instance, or walking down, you know, walking down to get your newspaper and your neighbor is 50 pounds overweight and cramming themselves into a tiny little car to go to a job they hate while you're wearing a bathrobe and you go inside and click on your computer and you made $800 overnight without doing anything, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. People are disgusting, horrible creatures. Basically, there's a whole section in the course where I talk about the seven deadly sins and how you can basically just apply those as a filter to anything, and you'll write yep. really good copy that works. But you have to be willing to admit that those are called the seven deadly sins because they're things people want. Like the reason religion said don't do that is because they're things that we as humans naturally do. It's built into us. Yeah, yeah that's pretty good. Before we wrap up, Nathan, is there any questions that we have missed? Because this has been pretty wide-ranging, and I loved it, but it may have gone a you know, way up there in the... Uh, uh, we, we, never, we never do that. We don't do that. <laughs> that's true. No, not us. This is just more of a practicality question, and it's a problem that I've ran into a couple of times with my clients, which mm-hmm. is when clients just aren't able to perform on camera, even if uh, they're yeah. just reading a script for a VSL, mm-hmm. what are... If you just had one thing that get you could act, say... Get an actor. Get an actor. Just get somebody get else. Get an actor. All right. That solves it right there. You, can't, you, can't, you just can't do it. I've tried it in the past, too. The reason that I became Michael Fiore in the first place was because I knew I could do, I could, I could be good on camera and not fuck it up. 
right? Like I'm willing to kind of do that. If I tried to find somebody else who was a real relationship expert, they probably would not have the presentation skills or the, or the marketing skills or whatever else that I would need. You can't force somebody to be charismatic or be dynamic on camera. You just can't do it. You know, we have an offer we did, um, a prostate offer I did with some friends and the doctor who we're using, he's a real guy, he's a nice guy, but he's also got like a thick New York accent and he is not very dynamic on screen. And like, he just wasn't the right guy to have this shit. So we just hired somebody else to be the voice in the, in the VSL. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Uh, wealth of information on this episode and I appreciate you coming on and sharing it with us and our listeners. And David, do we want to let Chris have a chance to plug his program before well, we're well, here? Before that, you know, although I am not a member on behalf of the Screen Actors Guild, thanks for the shout out, Chris. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> Um, yeah, anyway, so the course, uh, by the time you see this, uh, it will almost undoubtedly be sold out and shut down. It's only going to, even if we don't sell out, which seems unlikely, we're only going to be open for three or four days, I think, is the current plan. Um, hopefully, we will be doing another version of it sometime in 2022. I don't know when, quite honestly, at this point. Uh, it's a plan that I have to kind of make after I see how this first version goes out and see just all this other kind of stuff. But if you want to get on the waiting list and make sure you get notified when that does happen, you can just go to thepigmethod.com and there should be an opt-in there at this point you can get opted in and we'll probably still have the facebook group going in some form or another so if you just want to go to the pig method forward slash group you can go see the facebook group and just just read through it just go through the entire facebook group since it was created you'll see a whole bunch of interesting stuff that i was doing during that launch to get people so excited you'll see so you'll see people selling each other on the course so i don't have to which is actually pretty fucking great and a bunch of other things it's pretty cool that's great. Thanks. I, I Thanks. could do a course. I could do a course about the launch for this course. Quite honestly, <laughs> a lot of marketers do that. Mm -hmm. Maybe you should. Um, it's very meta. Have, have very you ever heard meta. of Jeff Walker? Oh well. Anyway. I know Jeff. <laughs> yeah, I've heard of Jeff a couple times. Yeah, yeah. I know Jeff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right. Well, listen. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for both shows. Yeah. Uh, prospectively, retrospectively, a little time shifting there. Congrats on your sure. launch. Thank you. And and. Um, Hopefully it doesn't bomb after all this. Oh Jeez. God, I hope not. I don't think it would be it pretty shocking. If it, I mean, I, I, we might not do what I'm hoping we do, but it's not going to bomb. Like that's that's pretty much impossible at this point. You, you know what? I'll, I'll I'll bet you a dollar you'll do everything you think you're going to do. All right, I'll take that bet. A dollar. I will happily pay you that dollar if I get the other nine hundred ninety-nine thousand. Okay. <laughs> okay, that sounds good. Okay. All right, guys. Thank you both for putting this conversation together. If you want to check out more, head on over to copywriterspodcast.com. And until next time, we will catch you later. See you later. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app so we can get into ears of more listeners. Thank you. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.